Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Are you there? Come out from under your blanket. It'll be okay. Uh, Every angle and an update of COVID-19, what it is doing to Canada and how we are all coping. And we'll get through it. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Many Canadians, many Ontarians still concerned about what they can do, what they can't do, and, and, and how serious this has become. Let's bring in Christine Elliott, Minister of Health for Ontario, and she is with us now. Christine, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, pleasure, Scott. Um, some people still have questions, some Ontarians still have questions on how far outside they can go. We know that we've been asked to, uh, to, to social distance and such, and, you know, you see lots of people in our neighborhood out walking their dogs distances apart and such, kids out riding their bikes, uh, again, by themselves or, you know, uh, with distance. But many are concerned about things like playgrounds and, and touching such and surfaces. What are your thoughts? What can you tell Ontarians about what we can do and what we can't do? Well, it's really important to um, practice the social distancing as much as possible. And uh, well, I wouldn't say that we should, people shouldn't go to parks. Of course, if you've got children, they need, they need to exercise. They need to get out and ride their bikes and so on. But what we don't want people to do is to um, to gather together in parks. I know there's situations where parents will get together for coffee while the children are all playing together. That's not a good idea. We need to make sure that uh, we we keep that social distance. That's how. COVID-19 is transmitted. Uh, it, it is very serious, and if everybody does their part, we will do our best to keep the transmission rate low and keep people healthy. Uh, many questions about medical supplies and equipment and such. We heard the Premier this morning, uh, early this afternoon, with his press conference talking about how much business has become involved in this, which is great to see. Uh, what can you say to Ontarians who may feel insecure about when this peaks, that we are ready and we have the supplies that we need? We are gathering our regular supplies. They are coming to us on a regular basis. And we are also looking for new supplies within Ontario because with borders and so on crossing and, and flights becoming less and less frequent, we want to make sure that we can have our own, uh, our own products made here. Businesses are stepping up in a major way, uh, for, um, personal protective equipment, uh, for ventilators, for the test swabs and so on. So, um, I'm, I'm really very, uh, encouraged and very proud of Ontarians for, for wanting to be of assistance here. And, uh, so I think people can feel confident that we will have the supplies we need. This certainly sounds like a long-term issue when all of a sudden we're talking to companies and saying, hey, can you help design this or can you design a quick ventilator, this sort of thing. How, how quickly before something like that can turn around and, and you have the actual supply? Well, people are reacting very quickly. Uh, for some things, it might take longer to uh, make a, a ventilator than a test swab. However, uh, people know that time is of the essence here and that we don't have time to sit around and think about this too long. We need, we need action, and, uh, and speed is very important to, um, to do our best to stay ahead of this. 
How concerned are you? We're seeing sort of the first week of of this self isolation uh, uh, plan to to keep us a, a safe distance from everybody. Uh, we, we certainly know that uh, coming up uh, on Friday night tonight at midnight, the borders will close to non essential traffic with the United States and uh, United States and such. But that being said, there, there there's a lot of people coming back, trying to rush back into the country before all of this happens and such, or even those that were on March break, perhaps before. Uh, the travel uh, advisories went out and such. Uh, how concerned are you that there'll be a second wave of this as all these people come home? Well, in actual fact, we are seeing a, a, a fairly substantial increase in the number of cases day to day. And Dr. Williams, our, our provincial medical officer of health, uh, is of the opinion that that's because of people coming home, that the snowbirds are all coming home, many of whom are coming from Florida, other warmer parts of the U.S., uh, and from other parts of the world. So it's not surprising that we're seeing that increase right now. Um, but uh, we, we are, and we're, of course, prepared to deal with that. Uh, but uh, Dr. Williams feels that, that the in- increase in those last few days um, has been because of that largely. How concerned are you? It appears that uh, those in the United States perhaps weren't taking this as seriously as we are. Uh, it seemed even watching the media down there, they, they were a couple of weeks behind us on all of this, on, on, on what they're even talking about. How concerned are you that what's happening south of the border may not be as efficient as what we're doing up here? Well, it, it has been of concern, and uh, I am um, pleased that the order has been made between our federal government and the United States to close the border for non-essential travel. Of course, commerce still carries on, and we need that to happen, uh, but uh, we want to make sure that we can protect Ontarians as much as possible, and I think the border closure is a good idea. We've had many that have been uh, concerned about retail, people on the front lines. I know a lot of the malls and such have have, uh, shuttered or at least doing reduced hours and such. Um, uh, How concerned are you or is there a need at this point for a full shutdown? Uh, I know you're waiting for medical advice on all of this uh, to make those decisions, but, but are we close to that? Could we see this relatively soon? It certainly is possible because we want to make sure that we do everything that we can to uh, prevent the, the transmission of COVID-19, but that is, is dependent on the um, advice and information that we get from Dr. Williams and other people on his public health team. We are making decisions uh, provincially based on that, which I think we need to do because they are the experts in this area. Uh, last question, Minister. Uh, what would you say to Ontarians that may be listening and maybe feeling a little anxious about all of this and, and, and not sure where, to, where this will go? I mean, there's the illness itself. There's also the seclusion, the mental health aspect of it all. What advice do you have for Ontarians heading into the weekend? Well, I guess two things. One is I hope that Ontarians will rest assured that we do have a solid plan in place that we can ramp up immediately should we need to. 
And so we, there are many steps that would need to be taken across many um, government ministries. We are all coordinated. Our cabinet is meeting every day. We're meeting, we met yesterday, we're meeting again today. And so we are covering off things like making sure that um, people won't be evicted if they're not able to pay rent, if they suddenly lose their job or they become ill or their children become ill. So we we are working on that. We want every Ontarian to know that uh, we have your back. And but secondly, I'm I'm really appealing to people to uh, to please follow the rules of social distancing as much as possible. Please don't go out in large groups, and because that is so important for every one of us. We all want to protect our own health, of course, but we also have a responsibility to protect the health of others. And I would say particularly for certain groups of people, seniors that have other health conditions, for example, we want to keep everyone safe and protected. So I'm just appealing to all of your listeners to please follow that uh, social distancing. Christine Elliott has been with us, Minister of Health for Ontario, giving us an update on uh, what the government is doing to keep us all safe. Christine, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. I know you're busy. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for allowing me to join you. Uh, starting at noon today, all Hamilton Health Sciences hospitals uh, no longer allowed visitors due to the COVID-19 virus that is uh, spreading all over. And a community uh, community uh, spread is something that is a concern right now, and they are trying to stop. Uh, there will be some exceptions. To talk more about all of this, Dr. Barry Lum is with us, Physician-in-Chief, Hamilton Health Sciences, and is on the line now. Thank you very much for the time, Barry. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Uh, how is Hamilton Health Sciences coping with this? What's the mood in some of the facilities right now? How, what's the feeling? You know, I, I would say we are coping incredibly well, given the, the how quickly the the landscape is changing, uh, the immense burden of work that that's uh, been uh, put to bear to get us ready, and um, and the the mood and the and the uh, esprit is is really quite fantastic. So what is the latest in regard to restrictions about going in and out of any of these facilities for those that may have loved ones there? Yeah, so um, you're, you're quite right. There was some further modification or restriction of, of our, um, our visiting guidelines. We now have screening of, of all individuals entering the hospital, both staff uh, and uh uh, patients as well as family, uh, and you know, in in circumstances where where it's really very appropriate that visitors be present, uh, related to you know how sick somebody is or or just what other kinds of supports they need, we will be able to to accommodate that. But the guideline and and our hope is that people won't come to the hospital unless they have to. Uh, how difficult is this for you and your staff to manage, uh, especially, as you said, when there's people there, people want to be next to them. Uh, we obviously know that, that having family around is, is important to the healing process. This is, this is a fine line you're walking here, isn't it? Truly. Uh, absolutely true. Uh, you know, both for the, 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 the mental health and of, of the patient and the family, this is something that we don't uh, enter on uh, lightly. Uh, on the other hand, and you know this uh, very well from all your conversations, the most important thing we can do is is distance people and avoid uh, contact with any potential uh, individual who might be carrying the virus. So 
That's the balance. How do we do this, uh, taking uh, our patients into consideration, their families, but also protecting uh, those who are in the hospital and the staff? Uh, How difficult is it to manage other people coming in and out of the hospital? Once this is a sealed environment and there's those that are there that are helping, um, what sort of relief does this give to the staff knowing that we have what we have to deal with is within the hospital? We don't have to worry about anything coming through the front door. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen, uh, there's some uh, cute cartoons and so on uh, floating around. And, and basically what mm. it says is, is uh, we're here uh, to help you. Please help us by not coming to the hospital. And that's that's really what it's about. It, it's um, respecting both people's needs. Uh, and, um, you know, there, there's a separate staff entrance. Everybody is screened from a staff point of view and are expected to be in good health with no recent travel and so on. And then there's a separate uh, patient slash visitor uh, area and each individual coming in will be uh, asked uh, a whole series of questions to confirm you know that, that it's okay. Uh, they have an appointment that they have to keep or uh, there's a particular reason why they have to visit. How, so has, the, like, how has this sorry, affected... Yeah, how has this affected the other day-to-day business of the hospital? We've heard that uh, elective surgery, for the most part, has been cancelled. How does this affect that, you know, over and above what we have happening with the COVID-19, the hospital has other business going on as people have other emergencies? Yeah, we've been working on this all week, uh, and uh, our goal is to have only care that needs to happen in the building uh, for the foreseeable future. So if you have an appointment to see me, for example, my office will uh, be in touch and we'll do our very best to uh, do that either by telephone or by uh, a video visit. There will be a small subset of patients who need to be seen or who initially say, you know what, I'm okay, but but actually now as time is going on, I'm getting more symptomatic and, and our job will be to screen those people, and if they need to be uh, seen, uh, we'll, we'll do that. Um, so I would say every clinic, well, in fact, I can absolutely tell you that every clinic uh, in the institution is going through a process of figuring out how we can do as little face-to-face work as we can while still protecting the patients. What is your greatest concern moving forward as we're still seeing more cases being report, reported? We're starting to see in other areas, China, for example, them sort of t- taper off a bit. Uh, what are your concerns moving forward as we still probably haven't hit the peak of this? Yeah, so so that's exactly the point, I think, Scott. We, we haven't, uh, and, and we know that we're going to. Uh, and I can tell you that conversations are literally happening uh, all the time about making sure that we've got all of the modeling and all of the preparations uh, in place for when it does happen. It's not if, it's when uh, and how big. And so, um, you know, I, I've been on two or three meetings t- today alone looking at all kinds of contingency plans for what if. And um, we're getting there. I think we're, we're going to be ready. Last we question, only got, only got about uh, 30 seconds left here. Any advice for those of us that are sitting at home and wondering what to do and, and, and where this goes next? 
I think it's it's uh, unfortunately it's boredom <laughs> or finding yeah. things to do as you described in your intro when you were talking about looking at videos uh, from the 80s. It's about uh, just respecting everybody's need uh, to be protected, and the best way to do that is to is to distance yourself uh, as much as you can. Dr. Barry Lum has been with us, Physician-in-Chief, Hamilton Health Sciences. Uh, Starting today, as of noon, Hamilton Health Services Hospitals uh, no longer allowing visitors due to COVID-19 unless extreme circumstances and those that will have to be dealt with individually. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated, and good luck with this moving forward. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A press conference with uh, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, and Education Minister uh, Stephen Lecce, and as well Health Minister Elliott, uh, all talking about moving forward with this uh, COVID-19 uh, virus and how Ontarians are going to cope. Uh, more or less an education spin on on uh, on this press conference with the Education Minister there talking about EQAO tests are done this year. Uh, most importantly, learning at home. Learn at Home is a new website portal that they are uh, developed, uh, or they are going to be developing, or developing uh, along with TV Ontario to make sure kids can uh, can continue to learn at home. The uh, education minister didn't rule out that uh, the education uh, system could still be closed down after the two-week period. Not going to make that decision at this point. He also stressed that no educator, so no graduation would be compromised, and that they would do their best to uh, implement this new at-home learning and. And there is a second phase coming if, in fact, uh, if in fact schools uh, and the closures are extended. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in uh, Randall Denley. Uh, current column in the National Post and Ottawa Citizen, COVID-19 labor dispute leave no easy path to reopening Ontario schools. While the COVID-19 crisis has taken away the union's leverage, they have an opportunity now to show that students' interests are paramount. And joining us now is Randall Denley of the Ottawa Citizen. Randall, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Your thoughts on what the education minister had to say? Nothing on uh, the unions or strike action at this time, all about e-learning, though. Yeah, I think it's uh, mixed news for parents. I mean, the good news is the government's doing something to help them uh, teach their kids at home. But the you know the bad news, although it's not surprising, is that he's uh, pretty iffy on the schools reopening in April and. You know, I don't see them reopening the school year, to be honest. When you've got uh, the prime minister saying, well, you know, this uh, regime we have now of social distancing and people staying home, that could last for months. And I'm sure it will last for months. So uh, the school is going to reopen maybe in June, but I think that would be probably even optimistic and a really tough choice for government because, you know, it's one thing to say to adults, okay, you can go back to work. But if we say send your kids to school it's safe, and then kids get sick, yeah. it's going to be a huge blowback on that. So I think the government's going to want to be, you know, doubly confident that kids will be safe in schools before they reopen the schools. So if that's the case, uh, just uh, they're going to have to somehow do something because we're so far through this school year. It's certainly not worth wiping it all out. Uh, as if this rolls into summer, how does that affect labor contracts and teacher contracts who are who are, uh, you, you know, designed for a 10-month period. I, you know, the point I'm making in the column is that I think it's time for the uh, teaching unions that haven't gotten a tentative deal, which is three of the four, 
step up and say, look, the deal the Catholics are taking, we'll take it too. So, you know, we're down to a dispute that seems to be largely about, what well, do we get 1% or yeah. 2% raise? And, well, you know, should there be seniority in hiring or not? I mean, these are not things that are going to get much public sympathy with everything that people are going through right now, especially parents. So I think that, you know, the time for this fight is passed, and I think teachers and their unions need to send a message like, look, we're going to settle that. We're going to be available. We're going to do everything we can to help your kid get through school. And it's it's the biggest problem, I think, for kids in grade 12, because they have to go on to post-secondary yeah. education. And if yeah. you were taking, say, chemistry this semester, then you didn't. You just won't know that stuff. It's less of a problem in other grades where it can be caught up. Do you think, uh, are you surprised we didn't hear anything about any of those labor negotiations? Is any of that still going on? Um, uh, again, uh, because of the, the situation the way it is, you would think these two sides are certainly talking because it's going to need teacher input, I'm sure, as they move through this this switch to e-learning. Yeah, um, what I hear is there's still uh, you know some degree of discussion with the elementary teachers and the French teachers, not with the secondary teachers who I think have the most aggressive stance, typically in union uh, negotiations. But, you know, I think clearly the minister today didn't want to go out of his way to pressure anybody, yeah. antagonize anybody. He spoke positively about teachers, you know, as, as he should. So uh, I don't think it's the right time to pick a fight. But the other point, another part of that really is that from the union's perspective, I think they need to step back and say, well, maybe we won't love <laughs> this deal, but with everything that's going on in our province right now, why don't we just take that? I mean, here are people in a pretty fortunate position where they've got guaranteed employment, guaranteed income, and a lot of people don't have that. So, you know, if you're fighting over 1%, there's going to be no sympathy for that whatsoever. And it seems very bizarre because the whole e-learning discussion has taken a whole different perspective now. So it almost seems as if the union's asks are archaic when it comes to e-learning. And yeah. then the whole issue about seniority, my goodness, why, why are we picking our teachers because someone's been in the bin longer as opposed to someone who's more qualified yeah, for the it, job? That is just absolutely insane. The teachers wanted, uh, when, when was the premier, and she said, sure, great, sounds good. In fact, we'll give it to... Everybody, even though they weren't asking for it. I mean, yeah. to me, an indefensible system that gets watered down slightly. Well, how can you promote? Field. How can you promote someone not based on their ability, but based on they've been in the union longer? That's just asinine. Yeah, it tells you a lot about how they see the world. But the the learning twist is a an ironic one, I think, because apparently this would be the worst thing you could possibly do for children. But you know, right now it's the only thing we can do. So it's going to be a a huge test drive of e-learning and we'll see you know how the public assesses it are you surprised the unions haven't come out with a more sympathetic tone at this point and just said hey yeah. you know what if you're thinking about all of this just forget it it's gone we've settled uh like you said i i think they're losing their footing now i, yeah, I really they're, think they're they've, i think they've overplayed right they've overplayed their hand have they not oh absolutely i mean they, they haven't reacted to these events that i've seen and and they need to you know, everybody's reacting and things are changing by the hour. I think it's... Are uh, you surprised we haven't heard from them? I mean, as you said, like pretty much every business, every industry is talking about how they can help. Are you surprised we haven't heard anything from the teachers' unions? Yeah, well, they're not always the most adept at dealing with uh, fle flexible situations because, 
you know, they got very upset. Well, the government's talking about, you know, what they want to do in public. and It's all got to be done at the table. It's all got to be done formally. Everything must be done in a certain way. You know, a lot well, of we can't have gather. We ha- can't have gatherings of large groups anymore. So the dance has to stop. Yeah, I guess they're going to be negotiating by Skype now. So, yeah. I think they need to do something within the next few days to send a message to parents that look, okay, uh, you know, we're declaring victory. We thought bigger classes and e-learning would be terrible things, but look, the government said they're not going to do that. So, we win. Let's move on. It's not what they want to do, but I think it's what they have to do. It will be interesting to see how this is all packaged uh, at the end of the day. Randall Denley has been with us. COVID-19 labor dispute leaves no easy path to reopening Ontario schools. It's the column in the Ottawa Citizen and National Post. Randall, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. All right, let's bring in Beverly Bauer and King. She is a stress and wellness expert. WorkSmartLiveSmart.com to find out more. She is with us now. Beverly, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. What advice do you have for those of us that are isolating? Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, to try to find ways of minimizing the stress and building your resiliency. And little things from making sure that you stick to routines. Uh, for example, I, I'm used to working at home. Now, one of the things that I do is I make sure that I do get dressed um, as much mm-hmm. as I can. There are days where I stay in my pajamas because I do like my pajamas, but, you know, find the routines. If you used to, you know, shower and get dressed and have a cup of coffee and then get ready for work, do those same kinds of things. If you had patterns of, you know, going outside and, and or, you know, exercising, find other ways of bringing that exercise into your routine. How important is it for us to get out, even if it is just on the front porch, the back porch, the backyard, whatever? Absolutely important, and it, we really need to focus on making sure that we get that daylight exposure. Um, you know, we talk about seasonal affective disorder, and you, you and I have talked about this before when we talk about mood disorders, but that light has such an impact on the way that we think, on the way that we feel, on the, the uh, quality of sleep that we get. So even if it's only for 20 minutes a couple times a day, uh, just like you said, getting out on your porch or, or standing outside in your yard for a little bit, uh, you're still doing the safe distancing, but you're making sure that you're taking care of your health. How important is it to for us to isolate uh, uh, but still communicate, still talk to people? We are connected and social human beings, and so we still really need to rely on that. It's one of the cornerstones when it comes to resiliency. And So who can you talk to on the phone? Uh, who can you connect uh, uh, with as far as your colleagues go? Can you make use of Skype and Zoom and whatever kind of messaging um, apps that you have, those things make it really easy for us, and, and we're quite fortunate that we have those when in other generations they wouldn't have had those, that kind of access. Kids at home, uh, extended March break, how do you prevent the cabin fever? Uh, it's finding ways to be creative. What can you learn? What challenges can you pose for them? Can they uh, create their own adventures? Um, can they learn a new skill? Uh, it's, you know, can you teach them how to, to cook or do something that maybe you thought before they were too young or you were too busy to teach them? Are there, are there things that you can add into the routine that keep it different from day to day? Any positives here? What about family time? Uh, some people have always wished for more family time, and some of them are getting <laughs> that wish right now. Um, and that may be a positive, or it may have been more difficult than they thought. 
but it is about being connected and, and, you know, it's a time to have, you know, those conversations that maybe you were too busy to have to find out about the history, what your grandparents uh, uh, went through when they were young. It, it's the time to, um, you know, do things together that create memories and bonds together. What advice do you have for those that are listening right now and wondering how long this is going to last? Because, again, you know, the first couple of days are kind of a novelty, but now I think reality is setting in. Reality is, is definitely setting in. And I think the big thing that we is the unknown. We don't know if this is going to be days, weeks, months, uh, and, and some predictions it may even be longer than that. So we're not sure. The, the biggest thing that we can do is stay in the present. We don't know what the future is going to bring. So what can we do right now? What do we have control over? Um, what do we not have control over? Can we change that in some way? Can we simplify? Can we uh, just focus on different things? Um, so really it is about uh, finding the strategies that are going to work for you in whatever situation you find yourself in. So does it mean that you need to rely on other people to bring you groceries? Does that mean that you need to learn maybe a new app so that you can connect to grandkids? Uh, Those types of things are going to be the things that we can control. What about those that are calling out neighbors, calling out others that have come home and maybe not quarantined for the 14 days or... Uh, we're, we're getting all kinds of stuff like that. It, it, you know, the majority of the people participate, others don't, but boy, sometimes it brings out an ugly side. It absolutely does. You know, we call it the quarantine shaming or the social distancing shaming. Uh, part of that is because our social norms and standards are changing so quickly. You know, we're getting new information every day, and so what was okay two weeks ago is now not okay, and what was okay even yesterday is now not okay. And, and so some people are changing their behaviors very quickly, and other people, they're not changing as quickly. They don't necessarily see the value in it for them. And, and some people are just trying to hang on to anything that's normal. I think, um, you know, one of the things, we all have these opinions, and I think it's, it's okay for us to have our opinions but not call out individuals. We can call out behaviors and try to educate people so that we can keep each other safe. But I also think that we really need to be kind to each other. Some people maybe just aren't aware, or maybe they, um, you know, they have their own things going on. So I think we, we mm. just need to be kind. We do need to educate. We do need to stay safe. But, uh, and we need to call out those things, but not kind of be hurtful at the same time. Beverly Bowerman King has been with us, stress and wellness expert. WorkSmartLiveSmart.com to find out more. Beverly, thank you so much. Stay safe. Perfect. You too, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Uh, globally, the death toll from COVID-19 uh, has now reached uh, over 10,000. How does Canada, the U.S., stack up on where we are in all of this? Let's bring in Dr. Randy Road, or sorry, Rodney Road, uh, professor and chair, clinical laboratory science program, College of Health uh, Professions, Texas State University, and with us now, Rodney, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You bet, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Oh, so your thoughts on how this is being accepted in the United States and where the United States is now? Well, I mean, when we talked about, I guess a month ago, we were at a much different place, obviously. But I think what's finally taking um, effect here in the United States is that people are truly starting to understand how well viruses can amplify and transmit in the population when when you don't have herd immunity. So one of the biggest issues with this virus is that it is brand new and that it did jump out of a animal population and mankind just hasn't had the opportunity to build up any immunity to it. So 
so that's why you're seeing the rapid spread and amplification and you know movement across geography at, at pretty rapid speeds. I will say that this is a normal thing for viruses. This happens all the time uh, when you have a brand new virus. Um, it's just that this one is certainly with air travel, other transportation. You've basically allowed a microbe the opportunity to jump and restart, you know, in, de- in different geographic locations. So. That's really the difference, in my opinion, between now and maybe even 30, 40 years ago when people weren't hopscotching across the, the world as much as we are now. Are we learning from other countries who are ahead of us in this pandemic? You know, it's hard to say. I think we are. I think we're watching very closely what, what China did, and we're obviously keeping Italy under close watch to kind of see what's happening there. I think what's what's difficult for the public to understand is that you can uh, watch people for signs and symptoms and you can wait for testing to ramp up, but there's really no way to understand the numbers that may be uh, positive in the population that are not showing strong symptoms or that they are very low uh, symptoms and, and may not even be going in for testing. And so you just don't know the types of of multiple points of transmission that are occurring until you're further into the into the outbreak. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're really starting to see now that, you know, we are trying to play a little bit of catch up. And, and this is kind of a common thing that happens with pandemics and epidemics. It's very difficult to predict a virus. And viruses are going to virus. And it's very hard to, you know, second guess everyone all the time. Now, moving forward, you know, the United States, Canada, and other countries really need to pay attention to social distancing and all the hand hygiene and travel advisories and really work hard to take that seriously, uh, even if they're feeling well and great, uh, because you just don't know um, who most vulnerable might be affected if you're visiting, you know, the elderly or other immunocompromised individuals. We're certainly hearing of more uh, borders closing. Obviously, the border between Canada and the United States closed to all non-essential traffic as of midnight on Friday. Uh, Obviously, air travel uh, very much curbed. How concerned are you that there may be a second wave of this as now more Americans are going home, more Canadians are coming home, and, and it, it's sort of the official end to, to spring break, even though some yeah. didn't go, some still did or left before all of this. Right, right. What a horrible time to be a 20-year-old, right, <laughs> during spring yeah, break. I yeah. think it's, you know, and I have a I have a 21-year-old son who was pulled out of London. He was on a study abroad last week today, so he's been home a week, and he had 48 hours to get home and so, fortunately, he's here, and uh, I've got an older daughter that's about 23, and we're, you know, talking to them about being smart and what they're doing. But I just think, you know, the question about a second wave, it's an important one. I, I would say I'm moderately concerned. I've been through about a dozen or so of these over the past 25 years, and that is always a concern. That you lock things down, or even in a, even in a flu season where you're really kind of trying to get people to kind of you know, follow the typical stuff around hand hygiene and get vaccines and things like that, you do sometimes see a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a second wave in late spring because people relax. You know, it's normal human behavior to think things are over. They may not understand what it means to be infectious or shedding days after or weeks after things are kind of calming down. There are still pockets of people that are 
going to be infected. So it'll be interesting to see how each country handles that. I, you know, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of in, kind of in favor of what's been happening as far as kind of pushing this out maybe a little further before we get schools back up and running. My university is basically shut down now until summer. So we're doing all of our classes online remotely. That's pretty much unfolding all over Texas and I'm, and, you know, pretty much all of the U.S. So schools and churches and, you know, I've I've lost out on three conferences that I was going to do uh, this spring. I was heading to Anchorage, Alaska Mm -hmm. and Iowa and some other places. I was even going to, uh, to London to visit my son to bring him home in early June. So all that's, you know, all that's Mm -hmm. gone now. And I think that's what people are struggling with. It's a, it's a new world right now. And we're just going to have to kind of get in this mindset that we need to tackle this as a country. uh, And it really is the world and see if we can kind of put a stranglehold on this thing. Are you concerned that Americans are not taking this advice seriously? That they're not the whole social distancing thing and all of that. Right. I think if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said yes. I think, you know, starting in the last day or two, it really seems that people, I mean, there's always going to be pockets of people that are just kind of out there doing their own thing. But uh, it seems that every state and country, I mean, New York has went on the full lockdown. Florida just kicked people off their beaches today. Um, you know, there, I think I think it's settling in on people's mindset now that they're starting to see the case numbers rise and things like that. And so hopefully, you know, hopefully going forward, we'll we'll take it seriously in, in every segment of population. So one thing to, to mention again and again, I'm sure you've heard, is it's not just the elderly and immunocompromised that need to be kind of staying home. It's the young people, too, because you just you could be a spreader and not know it. So you can indirectly impact health if you are not paying attention to this. Rodney, what's your concern moving forward with this? Last question. Well, my biggest concern is the economic impact and people's psychological um, status. I mean, I've seen it in my own friends and colleagues and family. Um, you know, it, it it's something about seeing uh, people isolated. I guess it makes me appreciate how difficult it would be to be in prison and be in isolation. It's hmm. so weird and how it affects, you know, human beings. Um, I've been telling people, hmm. you know, uh, that in my mind and in my understanding of everything I've learned that, um, viruses do not like sunshine because UV uh, wavelengths kill microbes. So I don't think there's any problems if you're out in your yard or in your immediate neighborhood, if you're still allowed to walk around, you know, get out, unplug, maybe unplug a little bit from yeah. all this news that's just rampant. It, it has an effect on your psyche. And, um, you know, you know whether you're just all of a sudden not working anymore, I, I thrive in the classroom and being around young people. So does my wife. She's a pre-K teacher. So mm-hmm. it kind of messes with you when all of a sudden you're just sitting around looking at your computer or watching TV all day. So I'm telling people to unplug, you know, play some games, <laughs> do something, get away yeah. from that TV and away from the social media world, at least for some part of the day so that you can give your brain some, some breaks. Great advice. Dr. Rodney Rohde has been with us, professor and chair, clinical laboratory science program at the College of Health Professions, Texas State University. Rodney, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thanks so much and take care. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, I noticed this when I fired up the computer as I'm working here in my home office uh, all week as we self-isolate and bring you this magic from uh, my house. <laughs> um, uh, I, I fire up the computer and all of a sudden this, uh, this message comes across the screen and basically says, if you want all of the information, uh, the latest information of COVID-19, uh, click here. And I mean, it was so intrusive immediately. I, I the red flags went up and I thought, nah, this is this is this is a scam. This is a hack. Uh, and we are seeing more and more scenarios where uh, criminals don't take holidays. Uh, they don't get sick, I guess, either. And they will take advantage of you. There are scams out there that are taking advantage of people. Let's bring in Dave Mason, Director of Enterprise Security, uh, Dark Trace. And another aspect of all this is we're working it from home. So networks that were now once closed are opened in, in our homes. Let's bring in David Ma- uh, Dave Mason, Director of Enterprise Security, Dark Trace. Dave, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, hi, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well. You? Yep. Yep. Okay. So working from home, we're now uh, working remotely, many of us, computers. I mean, we've already had access to all of this, but does it present security concerns for companies when all of a sudden it goes out of house? Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, When you're working for your company or your organization, uh, pretty much everybody's in the one place, in the one building. And uh, that's, you know, it's, it's the one thing for the bad guys, the threat actors to attack the one place where you're normally located. When we suddenly all start working from home, let's say there's 300 people in the company, you go from one thing to attack to 300 things to attack. And it makes things so much easier for the uh, threat actors to actually get, you know, attack people and get, uh, get a hold of them. And also, when you're in headquarters, you're there where you've got lots of cybersecurity, you've got lots of firewalls, uh, intruder detection systems, next generation firewalls, lots of antivirus stuff. But then you don't have that when you're working from home. And working from home is less secure when it comes to cyber. However, many of us have, you know, the opportunity to work from home for perhaps part of the day and have access to those systems. Is it any different now? Um, It'd be different in terms of uh, you're suddenly going to be communicating from home a lot more than you did before. Yeah, you're right. Somebody like yourself, somebody like me, you know, we've, uh, we've got stuff at home to make us more secure. But... We're going to be doing a lot more communicating, and that means a lot more communicating, a, lot, a bigger chance for us to make mistakes when we're doing that actual communication itself. You mentioned you got a, a, a message popped up this morning, pretty blatant yep. one, really. Um, but some of these uh, emails are going to come flying in, these scams, they're, they're not going to be so blatant. Some of them will be pretty, quite subtle. And at a time when there's a great thirst for knowledge, and when you've injected into that email a sense of urgency and a need for a decision to be made, a lot easier to trick people into clicking on the link or looking at that attachment. Well, again, my first reaction, oh my goodness, this is something I can use. And then immediately after that, oh, red flag, we've all been trained yep. about this. We've all seen, we've all, we've all had gone through the company training on what is a scam and what isn't a scam. And this looks pretty suspicious. Have you heard many reports of what I've just talked about, where all of a sudden you fire up and, and yep. there's, this, uh, there's this master link that can give you everything you need to know? Yep, lots of them. Absolutely lots of them, unfortunately. Um, scammers pretending to be from the World Health Organization, pretend to be from the Center of Disease Control, uh, pretend to be from just about anybody um, to try and get people to click on those links. And those are that's, that's when they're doing what they call phishing attacks, where somebody just has a go and blasts something out all over the place in the hope that somebody will click on it. And unfortunately, somebody will. 
but we're also seeing an increase in what we call spear phishing attacks, attacks which are actually aimed at you personally. Um, it may be because, um, you know, the bad guys pay attention to the news. They know everybody's moving from home. You know, a change to them is an opportunity. And they'll know about the company. They might even know about you because you're on the website. And they've checked you out. And so they sent you an email that's kind of aimed at you and in your situation. It mm. might refer to a few things that it just makes it seem more credible and inject in the air of urgency, need for a decision, speed. And, you know, maybe at this time when you're running around um, uh, uh, like a chicken and all the rest of it, you're just more likely to not be paying attention, to have lost that sense of awareness because you're on your own now. You're not with everybody else and you might just click on that link. And as you bring up, and rightly so, Dave, I mean, we're at a point now where we're anxious and we're looking for information. Yep. So if we find yep. something that is going to give us information, maybe we don't even think. We're certainly at a, ver- a very vulnerable time right now. What advice do you have for those who, who who may be experiencing something like this? And again, considering the anxiety of the situation, we've got to heighten this stuff. Yeah, um, well, hopefully a lot of organizations are actually giving some advice um, to their employees who are moving, uh, moving to home. Uh, well, I hope so, anyway. Um, when it comes to seeking that information, what the best thing to do is for an organization is to say, come to our website. We will be pop- updating information on our website regularly. Come to the website for that information. We will not be sending you emails, okay? Go to the website. And that's what I say to everybody else. If you, if you want to know about stuff... Go to your local municipality website. Go to CBC. Go to your radio station website. Mm-hmm. Go to the websites and seek that information yep. yourself. Don't wait for somebody to deliver it to you on a silver platter that seems too good to be true and for which you need to click on a link or look at the attachment. Good advice. Dave Mason has been with us, Director of Enterprise Security, Dark Trace. Uh, the scammers are out and taking advantage of your vulnerable, uh, vulnerability during these times. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for your time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. See you soon. We've had lots of different angles of COVID-19 and how to cope with it and the mental health issue and the schools and so on and so forth. Uh, but many people are asking questions about COVID-19. How long does it stay in surfaces? How do you clean for this sort of thing? Uh, let's bring in Dave Evans, uh, Professor, Department of Medical Microbiology and, Immunolo- and Immunology at the University of Alberta, and he is with us now. David, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon, Scott. I guess my first question is, do we know anything about how long this stays on surfaces? We've heard uh, various uh, lengths, depending upon if it's a steel surface, uh, a soft surface, a glass surface, or such. Do we know anything, uh, you know, especially in, you know, information needed for those going out and perhaps using a bank machine or want to go to a playground? I mean, is this good advice? Yeah, I, I mean, there has been some research now done to take a look at this. It's a complicated question because it's very much dependent on things like the temperature, the humidity, the kind of surface that the thing is on, the amount of virus that's there. They, they all affect it. Um, and it's it's not an all or nothing thing because if you have something like a virus sitting on a surface, there's a, you know, you start with thousands of them that just randomly got deposited there and then they sort of disappear and die off you know, with what's called a half time. So, you know, in a few hours, there's half of them, and a few hours more, there's half again. So it never, it, it declines, so there's no point at which it goes from sort of lots there to none. Um, but that said, there's also, there's a critical amount of virus that's needed to cause infection. So once it's gone below that level, it's not infectious. So what, what has been measured is people have taken virus, like COVID-19 virus, put it on steel surfaces, plastic surfaces, and asked 
how long did it last there? What's the half time? And some of those measurements show that, for example, on a, on a steel or plastic surface, maybe the half-life is a six hours, which means that realistically within a few days, it's pretty much gone, just in sort of room temperature, air. Um, stuff suspended in air actually disappears much faster. The half-time is about an hour. So, you know, that means that half the virus has gone in an hour suspended in air. What about fabrics or goods in, uh, that are being shipped from place to place? Can it, uh, you know, because obviously travel has been restricted between borders, but goods are, are, are continuing to move. Is there any fear there? Uh, we, we've even talked to experts in food and said there's no, there's no need to worry about that. What, what about fabrics, things like that? Yeah, generally not. Um, one of the things that's just even working virologists have to deal with is that these things tend to stick to surfaces, and when they do that, they die off. So um, once something like one of these viruses has ended up on a fabric surface and then dried in place, it actually doesn't come off very easily. Um, and, and they then inactivate with time because of the drying and the, and the, the surface they're sitting on. So um, it's, a, again, a very difficult question to give an absolute answer, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. And regular laundering of sheets and towels and stuff with hot water and and sort of your standard laundry soap will also kill off pretty much any kind of virus that's sitting on a surface like that. Should we be altering how we clean? What is the best? Uh, are there certain products we should be using uh, more than others? Um, well, I... I, I don't really sort of want to get into identifying particular ones, but no, we don't need to go into brands. Yeah, but is but there, not, you know, I mean, many have said you need soap and water, but then you need yeah. some sort of disinfectant afterwards. Yeah, I mean, any of the sort of strong um, soaps that you typically would use to clean your toilet and your bathroom and stuff. Um, yeah. Viruses in general are um, very sensitive to strong detergents. So the reason for that is that viruses like the COVID-19 virus has um, a fatty envelope around it. And the way I, I explain it to people is you've probably seen your sink after the water's gone cold and you've done dishes and it's got an oily film on the surface. If you take and put a drop of detergent on that, you'll notice how the film sort of disappears. Mm -hmm. Well, that same kind of oily surface is wrapped over these viruses. And Typically, detergents will just blast them away, and then the virus will die. So uh, a good, any good, strong detergent will typically knock out uh, an enveloped virus like these. Uh, obviously, governments uh, and leaders and such telling us to practice social distancing. They still say if you can get out and, and walk or walk the dog or what have you. But what, what, what about things like playgrounds and, and kids touching them, even if they are uh, uh, you know, um, uh, using social distancing and such, what about those surfaces or, or bank machines? How cautious should we be of that sort of thing? Um, yeah, I mean, something like a bank machine, I, I, I mean, they, anything that gets touched by lots of people um, is something you probably want to, um, I mean, if you do, your hands are pretty good at protection, just the skin, if it's unbroken, is very good protection against all kinds of things. But that being said, I mean, if you went and handled, you know, punched in the keys of a bank machine, I would wash your hands afterwards. And, and this idea of not touching your face is a really good one. So don't touch your face and then wash your hands well with soap and water afterwards. And then you, you should be okay. 
Um, the other thing to kind of watch out for that I, I, I've advised people is, of course, if someone goes coughing into uh, Kleenex or there's mucus in a Kleenex, um, those kind of deposits potentially could be, could be places where um, a virus would hang out for quite a long time. And so especially if someone is hacking away into a Kleenex, I would make sure that those are disposed of properly in your in your household trash. Don't go leaving them lying around the house. Hmm. Uh, last question, advice for those that may be feeling anxious about all of this. Well, there's an old saying that this too will pass. Um, hmm. it, is, it is a scary time. And, and for those of us who work with viruses, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I teach my students about the history of epidemics. And so um, there's nothing that particularly surprises me about this beyond the fact that it's happened so quickly. Um, but I think if people practice the social distancing that's being suggested and they um, pay attention to you know, very common sense bits of advice that's being given to them by the health authorities, People should be okay. Um, it, the, the, the advice is good, um, and it's common sense. I would very much avoid sort of looking at whatever is being said on the Internet by whatever person is flogging whatever mysterious therapy. Mm. There's, there's lots of rumors going around. Stick to, um, you know, the Ontario Health Advisory people. Um, the, the real challenge right now, that and, and you can see it in some of the data that's being published, there, this is typical winter season, so there are lots of other colds and flus and things going around. So as soon mm. as someone gets um, a cough or a cold, they immediately start assuming it's the COVID-19. But actually, if you take a look at what's being reported, say, from Italy, they, you know, they've done things when people come in and we test for what it is, they find that a very small minority of the cases that are being detected are actually the COVID-19. The rest is influenza, common colds, some other things out there. So um, it's scary because of that um, that other winter winter cold season that we're experiencing. So um, bear that in mind if you've suddenly got a flu or a cold. Start practicing the social distancing, distancing, stay indoors, but it doesn't mean you've got COVID-19. You quite probably have something else that you've had before. David Evans has been with us, Professor, Department of Medical Microbiology, Immunology, University of Alberta. David, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Sure. Hope that was helpful. Good luck. It is. We'll chat again. Thank you so much. All right. That is a wrap for the show. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up a window here. Hang on. Let me just leave. Oh, man. Fresh air. Hey, get away from my window. Get away. Go back to the prime minister's house. I think it's that crow that's always flying around. Whenever the PM goes out the front door and uh, does a press conference. Have you noticed that? Oh, the mic must be working. I can hear the crow. All right, that enough. Hang on, let me close that up. Hang on, hang on. 
At least it's not the dog barking. Uh, all right, that's a wrap for the show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Liz and Will and everybody back at the station, uh, our engineering staff, Phil and Murph and such, that have done so much work to get this uh, up and running so we can all go out into our homes and stay isolated and keep you well informed. It certainly is a different way of life. We are all trying to get used to it. It is not easy for anyone, which is why you have to remember this is a group effort, a countrywide effort, and we have to listen to our leaders and our medical officials as what to do and that is practicing social distance the scott thompson show weekdays from noon to three on 900 chml this is the scott thompson podcast available on apple podcast and google podcast or wherever you get yours and don't forget to subscribe rate and review so you don't miss a thing i'm scott thompson and thanks for listening